human or general public perception of veterinary medicine and veterinarians has shifted in recent years because I think there's just some general skepticism about medicine in general. And, you know, I think some of that is probably warranted as a, as a big idea. That's Dr. Molly Brinkman. I'm Kara Duffy, and this is the Powerful Ladies Podcast. Well, welcome to the Powerful Ladies podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Let's jump right in. Tell everyone your name, where you are in the world, and what you're up to. So my name is Dr. Molly Brinkman. I am a veterinarian, and I live and practice in Franklin, Tennessee, which is about 30 minutes south of Nashville. Which is actually the capital? Nashville is the capital of Tennessee, yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. And it, when I was in high school, I grew up here and it was like just the capital. It wasn't a cool place to go. Yeah. So no one, <laughs> no one in Franklin like went to Nashville to do fun things. But that has changed mm-hmm. a lot. So. Well, of course, I want to know if eight-year-old you thought that this would be your life today. Uh, in some ways, yes, because I have always known I would be a veterinarian. I uh, I think in kindergarten, they made us like announce what we were going to be when we grew up. And uh, this was definitely it. I had a connection with animals from a very, very young age. My parents always say, you know, it's like spooky with the animals. Um, but, but, but yeah, I loved them, grew up around them, grew up uh, on a farm sometimes with my grandparents. So big animals, small animals, dogs and cats everywhere. Um, and always knew this is what I wanted to do, be a doctor. Um, mm-hmm. So that part is not surprising, but, you know, life uh, never goes the way you expect. So definitely some curveballs. <laughs> when I've uh, read that you thought that you were going to be a large animal veterinarian. Mm-hmm. I did. And when did you make the pivot into what we know as veterinarians, like who have dogs and cats and are sure. going to them way more than we expect to? <laughs> yeah. So in vet schools, some vet schools have you tracked. So you kind of decide, I want to do large or small animal. My, I went to UT, uh, Tennessee in Knoxville, and, and we didn't track. So I went through clinics and did small and large animal clinical rotations. In vet school, I thought I was going to be a large animal vet. Um, I, at one point, wanted to be a horse surgeon. And I actually pursued that after vet school. I went out to Western Colorado and did an equine surgical internship at a prominent practice there. So a lot of big, fancy horses, a lot of surgery on horses. Um, and in veterinary school, you can apply and do internships. You don't have to, um, but you usually have to do that if you want to specialize and be a surgeon or another type of specialist. So that's why I went there, thought I was going to be a horse surgeon. But while I was there, I they also had a small animal clinic, and I really loved doing both. And so I decided not to specialize, and I loved the practice and the area where we were, and they asked me to stay. So then I worked there for a second year, just as a regular associate. And I did large and small um, and, and loved both and thought, well, okay, I can just do both. Uh, and that changed about two years later after we moved back to Tennessee. I transitioned from large to, to small, uh, which happens a lot. A lot, of, a lot of vets go from start in large animal or mixed practice and they end up in the small animal world. Do you ever have somebody bring an animal you would never expect? Well, where I work now, no, because we really only see dogs and cats. We, if we know someone who like has a goat that needs to be seen and it's like somebody's yeah. friend, we might see like an occasional goat or like a rabbit or something like that. 
mm-hmm. but not really anything unexpected. I, I I have had a job that was exotic too. And so we saw just anything some anyone mm-hmm. brought. So I saw like some kangaroos and wallabies and reptiles and crazy things like that. That's fun. Uh, yeah. <laughs> It, it seems fun. It's not fun when you don't actually really know how to treat all of those animals. So it can be stressful. Mm-hmm. And I'm not a fan of snakes. So, you know, it's not my, yeah. not my like instinct to like save a snake. So right. <laughs> uh, you're like, yeah. it's okay if that one goes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. Someone else do this. So. Well, so many people love animals. And they think, oh, I love animals. I should be a vet. And then the realities of what vets have to do and the choices you have to make are very different than just loving on animals. How have you adopted to the choices you have to make that are sometimes very hard and not the ones you would choose to make um, in your, you know, civilian mindset? Yeah. How do you adopt to that being a vet? Yeah. The the our profession is a wonderful one. I love my job and it is extremely rewarding. And I do get to see cute dogs and cats and puppies and kittens at my job. Uh, But it is not just, you know, loving animals. And it is, there are really hard decisions we have to make. We euthanize pets all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, We have to work a lot with people. And I think sometimes that's something people don't maybe realize how much human to human interaction there is in veterinary medicine and how important that is. And it can make your job a lot harder or easier depending on how well you can kind of handle that. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you know, humans are messy and they're, they're, <laughs> some of them are evil and, and humans do bad things and the animals that they have and are supposed to take care of, sometimes they don't. And we're the people who ultimately have the responsibility to advocate for those animals. Um, and sometimes that's despite their owners, their humans. Um, and that that's a really hard part of veterinary medicine. And sometimes we have to do things that we wouldn't choose for our pets mm-hmm. because that's all an owner can do or there's financial constraints or they just, you know, don't make decisions the same way that we do. Um, so it's, yeah. that's yeah, that's, I mean, that really is a really hard part of veterinary medicine. Have you ever had to take a pet away from an owner? So I've never physically taken a pet away from an owner. I have reported animal abuse. Um, mm-hmm. I have I have done gone through that, um, and I have been involved with like rescue organizations mm-hmm. who are involved in actual seizure of animals who are being abused or neglected, but yeah. not in practice. Yeah, thankfully. Um, yeah. Um, how many animals do you own personally? So this is a great question. And people sometimes are surprised. I have one dog. Um, his name, my husband and I have a dog. He's actually laying behind me. His name is Cooper. And he, he hears me. He's like, what, what do you want? <laughs> uh, he is a nine-year-old lab and he has been my husband and my dog. We got him for our first anniversary. So he's been with us pretty much our whole marriage and he's our like, Heart dog, really special pet. Uh, but yeah, he's our only pet right now. I'm not allowed to have cats because my husband is super allergic, which is mm-hmm. really sad for me. But for you now, get your fill at work. <laughs> yeah, but we have human children, so we have our hands full. No more dogs yeah. right now. Yeah. How many kids do you have? We have so we have two living children. Um, I have a four year old. We have a four year old boy and a two year old girl. 
Um, and we, our first child actually passed away. That was about five years ago. Um, I'm so, so sorry. I've, thank you. Yeah. So I've had, I've had three babies um, and mm-hmm. we have two living children with us and four and two is both really challenging ages. So we're um, a little crazy over here, but yeah, but they're, you're on your toes. Yeah. Yes. Sure the dog, you're like, can you watch them, please? You're the babysitter now. <laughs> uh, yes, he literally does babysit sometimes because mm-hmm. he'll let me know if something's going on. <laughs> yeah. What are some things that you wish for sure your human patients, but people in general knew about veterinary medicine that you are amazed that they don't know, or you're frustrated that continues to be a point of conversation? Yeah. Oh man. We could talk about this the whole time. Um, I, I, sadly, I think that kind of human or general public perception of veterinary medicine and veterinarians has shifted in recent years, because I think there's just some general skepticism about medicine in general. And, you know, I think some of that is probably warranted as a, as a big idea. Um, but in veterinary medicine, we are combating this idea that vets are out for your money and, you know, we're in bed with like drug companies and big pharma and food companies, especially, you know, and we, we're just taking, taking unnecessary money, doing unnecessary things. Um, and it's a huge obstacle in practice mm-hmm. because, you know, Dr. Google is a real thing and, and there's so yeah. much information on the internet and some very compelling and convincing information that sometimes is dangerous and, and very wrong. And so I do feel like that's a battle that the previous generations of veterinarians didn't have. They had other battles, um, but I, I wish that sort of the general public could better understand that we got into this profession not to make money because we we don't yeah. make a lot of money like other medical professionals. Mm-hmm. And so if they could just understand that we really are just advocating for the best of their pet based on the information we have that is based in science, we we could all treat our patients better. Yeah. Is there a habit that you wish more pet owners had, like making sure teeth are brushed or yes. like, what is the thing that you're like, I wish they were just handling this on a regular basis? Yeah, you've nailed it. He, uh, dentistry. So mm-hmm. dentistry is a, a, I said this in an Instagram story the other day, we wear a lot of hot hats. Veterinarians wear lots yeah. of hats, right? So we, you know, in human medicine, everybody's so specialized. And so you, you have a dentist and an optometrist and a, there's radiologists and all those things. And, mm-hmm. and some of those specialties exist in veterinary medicine. But the general practitioner, the general veterinary practitioner has to wear most of those hats every day. And dentistry is something a lot of vets haven't had a lot of training in. And so that has trickled down to poor client education, but that's changing. And we're, we're doing a better job of that. And dentistry is something I love and I love to educate clients about it because dental health is important and, and poor dental health affects a lot of other things and makes dogs painful and uncomfortable. And so I wish we could just like snap our fingers and change everyone's mentality on dental health and dogs and cats so that mm-hmm. people would not think it's a crazy idea to brush your dog or your cat's teeth every day. Uh, because yeah. that, you know, like we do, it's really the best thing for them and it's doable. Like if once you get them used to it, it's really not a big deal. Yeah. Um, something that I'm amazed by is how many people I run into that delay or don't spay or neuter still. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I thought we were beyond this. <laughs> yeah. 
So it, that's a very another very hot topic in veterinary mm-hmm. medicine. And the answers are honestly becoming more gray. Even mm-hmm. the research is becoming more gray. Mm-hmm. Um, there's long explanations, but for a long, long time, we spayed and neutered everybody at six months for mm-hmm. for control of the population and because our shelters were, were overrun. They're still mm-hmm. overrun. Um, but in a lot of, you know, kind of suburban areas where dogs are staying in homes and cats are in, indoors, the population control in those areas is less of an issue. And mm-hmm. science, there's some newer research developing that says that in some large breed dogs, there may be some benefits to waiting later mm-hmm. to stay and neuter them. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, whenever new research comes along like that, we have to, especially something so well-established, because there is yeah. evidence that female dogs are less likely to get breast cancer if you go ahead and stay them at six months. And that's very, mm-hmm. like, that we know that that's true. Mm-hmm. And so, especially in females, it's very great because we have to balance those two pieces of information that science has given us. And owners come in to talk about this with ideas. And this is where the internet gets tricky because yes, there is some fact in that maybe the science is changing, but that right now really only applies to a smaller population of dogs. And Mm -hmm. it's not across the board. And a lot of our our dogs and cats need to still be stayed at, at six months. And so I do think that that trend of, well, let's just wait. And I don't really know why or which dog is probably contributing to our shelter crises that are happening in different areas for sure. Yeah. The, my, the first dog that I had as on my own made it almost 18 years. Oh, wow. What was it? Uh, Schnoodle, Schnauzer Poodle mix. Yeah. Yeah. He traveled the world. He's been to more countries than people I know, but, and the, the dog I have now, um, she was literally left at a friend's car door. When he ran in to sign papers, like in a box. And I'm so thankful. Yeah. She was probably about 10 weeks, eight to 10 weeks when I got her. Mm -hmm. What is she? She's super mutt. I've done the DNA test, which I know are very controversial. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But it's so interesting with like the Embark DNA test. They give you a whole family tree. And I know there's controversy about how good they are because they're having more and more people do it. So it's getting better and better. but they, she's supposed to be mostly poodle and pit bull. And oh, when you okay. see her, she looks like she might be a Jack Russell terrier mix. And yeah. there's no Jack Russell in her based on this test. Yeah. So well, knows? it's funny. I always like have theories about dog, mixed breed dogs that come in if they don't know, you know, oh, what they yeah. are. And we all like guess before they, if they are going to do the DNA testing. Mm-hmm. And I, we're wrong a lot because I just think when you start mixing the breeds, their characteristics yeah. can change so much and you don't like afterwards, you're like, okay, maybe I see it, but it doesn't make sense yeah. at first. Well, we were even looking at like her different characteristics. Like she has uh, like web feet, which only uh-huh. like a few breeds do, but none of those mm-hmm. breeds showed up on the DNA. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, just, it's and, so funny. Mm-hmm. And you know, most breeds, come there's only a few truly like foundational breeds so a lot of breeds come from other breeds and so there's Mm -hmm. a lot of kind of mixtures that we you know we don't know what that's gonna have what that's (laughs) gonna make and so we're finding out it's kind of cool yeah what um encouraged you to start doing all of your social media posting like that's how i found you because you these great funny and informative reels and posts yeah were you like bored at work one day? Were you like, I have got to start educating the public? Like what was the trigger? <laughs> yeah. So I, it's funny. I remember having a conversation with one of my friends. I'm like, yeah, you know, there's all these like 
influencers about medical stuff. Like I follow, you know, dermatologists and mm-hmm. estheticians about skin things and they're like really helpful. You can get all this information so easily. And uh, I'm like, there needs to be like more vets that do that because mm-hmm. we have to combat Dr. Google. We got to like tell people what the real deal is. And she was like, yeah, you should do that. So I was like, yeah, I'll just start making videos. So yeah. that's how it started. And it kind of just sort of limped along for a while. And I was doing mostly educational stuff. And then, you know, I just started having all these crazy ideas in my head about, oh, that'd be so funny to talk about, be like dog breeds if they were people. And so mm-hmm. that's what, that's when I really like started to go viral or whatever because of those, those breed videos. And so then it just became really big, really fast. And it's like, oh, okay. I like have a real platform for this. So then it's just gone from there, but it's been fun. And how has your team been uh, on board to participate? Yeah, it's funny. I've, Uh, I've changed jobs a lot the last few years. And so I've been in two different practices while I've been doing this. And the one I'm at now is great. Like everyone thinks it's really funny and fun and they're like, oh, let me take a picture of you with that dog or whatever. (laughs) They help me, which Mm -hmm. is great. My last job was probably less supportive and that's okay. Uh, But there's a couple of texts where like, I don't want to be on your social media. I'm like, fine. But most everybody like really enjoys doing it and being a part of it. Yeah, it's fun. For somebody who is considering becoming a vet or thinking mm-hmm. that's where they need to, you know, make a career pivot. Yeah. You know, that's, there's a lot of schooling education in that piece. Mm-hmm. If that's maybe not the path they want, like how else can they be involved in a veterinary office yeah. and be participating? Like what are the other mm-hmm. roles or jobs that could exist? Yeah, I the world really is your oyster in veterinary medicine because it is a medical facility, but there's a lot of administration and a lot of management that has to happen. And then just like in human medicine, you know, you can work in the veterinary field and sales and marketing and PR, all those things. You can work for drug companies and food companies, uh, but in the actual, like in a practice, in, the, in an mm-hmm. actual hospital, you have doctors, you have nurses, our veterinary technicians, and then assistants. Um, and then we have front desk staff, our uh, client service representatives. Mm-hmm. It's like the new posh name for them. And so they, um, you know, they're who deal with the people. They're really mm-hmm. like the heroes of the vet clinic because they're like the front line with those humans <laughs> we've talked about. Uh, but it's, you know, I, a lot of people really like that job and there are certain people who are really good at that job. And then there's management positions and different, you know, you can be a medical director or a lot of people in that position have some background in medicine, but, but yeah, I mean, there's a ton of ways you can get into work in a clinic without being a vet or even a vet tech for sure. And then there's big hospitals that have even Mm -hmm. more, you know, billing roles and client communication roles, things like that. Mm -hmm. With your practice, you have a pretty routine schedule or does Mm -hmm. it ever get out of control? Yeah. So, oh, well, it all, it gets out of control, but <laughs> we, have, we have a schedule template that we try to follow. Uh, but yeah. you know, a lot of times if someone calls and it's a client that we know and our dog just ate a bunch of chocolate or mm-hmm. raisins or something, then we're going to get them right in and make them bonnet or whatever we need to do yeah. if they're having something urgent. And that always, you know, messes with the day, but it comes with the territory and we try to do that within reason. You know, we've mm-hmm. tried not to overload our staff and take care of our, our patients the best we can. And the good thing is we have 
ER clinics. We have emergency mm-hmm. clinics in our area. We have three pretty close. And so we can always funnel patients if they need more care or more urgent care to, to those places. But yeah, we have a yeah. we have a pretty regular schedule. I have a surgery day. So I do surgery mm-hmm. one day a week and then see appointments the other days. And we mm-hmm. schedule a lunch. Like I, t- I technically have a lunch break every day. <laughs> I do a lot of work during lunch, but that's my choice. And, uh, and yeah, we yeah. see clients every anywhere from 15 to 45 minutes they're scheduled for. They're mm-hmm. never only there for 15 minutes, but that's how we do the yeah. schedule. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I also think it's really interesting how some people, dogs in particular, mm-hmm. some dogs just seem really easy. Like yeah. my dog, for example, really easy. Mm-hmm. And then I have some other friends who there's, they have dogs who are on uh, mental medications now, not mm-hmm. just physical. And there's more yeah. anxiety and mm-hmm. there's depression showing up in animals. How has the um, mental care of dogs and cats shifted? Yeah. And how much do we really need to be concerned or keep an eye out for that for our sure. own dogs? And yeah. Cats? Yeah. I think some of the shift just in a big way in, in veterinary medicine is that dogs and cats have come inside over the mm-hmm. last like 30 years. They're inside now and that's good for them in a lot of ways. But I do think that that has led to some increased anxiety because these dogs are getting a lot less exercise um, and, you know, less mental stimulation because they're sitting inside all day in a crate all day. And same with cats, you know, they're not out hunting like their Mm -hmm. instinct. Um, So just, then this is just me saying there's no like necessarily science that says this, but I think that that has contributed to it for sure. And I think some of the breeding that is going on, um, mm-hmm. some of the breeds, some of some of the poodle mixes that are really popular right now, mm-hmm. whatever it is about some of those breed combinations is leading to a lot of just, I think, genetic anxiety. They're just predisposed to it, just like some people are, yeah. some chemical imbalances probably. And when you mix a dog whose breeding makes them more prone to having anxiety issues, and then you put them in a high-rise apartment all day, it's kind of a recipe for that. Um, Mm -hmm. And we recognize that and we see it. And, you know, veterinary behavior is a newer specialty in our field. And it's a super important one because of the rise of this. I think some of it too is because People are looking at their pets more. And so they're noticing these behaviors that are consistent with anxiety. We mm-hmm. Anxiety is a lot of what we see and, and some fear, aggression sometimes. But um, but yeah, I mean, I think, I think they're inside. I think they're not getting as much exercise. I think some of the breeding has to do with it. And mm-hmm. we, we have behaviorists and veterinarians are getting more education on how to help talk clients through working through that. And train, there's really good trainers in the world, dog trainers who are not mm-hmm. veterinarians, but um, have a lot of experience and a lot of training. And they really understand some dog psychology and behaviors. And they are really good at helping people work through those things. There's a mm-hmm. lot of bad ones, but there's some really, really good trainers. <laughs> yeah. Probably about 12, 15 years ago, I read a book called The Inside of a Dog. Mm-hmm. And it was from an anthropologist who allegedly was one of the first people to study dogs anthropologically because yeah. uh-huh. we just assumed we knew what they were all doing because they've been with us this whole time. Yeah. And it was so interesting to see the things that we thought we knew answers to and like what was confirmed and what was actually different than we expected. Mm-hmm. And 
you know, we, they are so ingrained in our lives and you hear things like yeah. a dog knows humans better than any other species. Mm-hmm. Cause we all know that our dogs are actually trained us, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. not gone the other way. Yeah. There's a, um, a string with a bell on it on my pantry. That's just out of view. And my dog knows, like she goes up, hits it. She's like, I would like a snack. <laughs> You're like, Oh, okay. Yes. I Meanwhile, all day, your dog has trained you well. Yes. <laughs> yes. Every day. Yeah. And then meanwhile, I have a bell by her water because she will finish the bowl of water and not make, not tell me at all. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. I'm like, can you ring the bell? Like, I will refill it She's for like, you. Nah, I don't care about that. No, no. Whereas my other dog would like flip the bowl and throw a uh-huh. fit if there wasn't any water. Yeah. Um, but I think what's so, what I'm so fascinated in is about the buttons where people are training their dogs to talk with the buttons. Yeah. What do you think part- about that? Is it real? Is it a sham? Should we all be doing it? <laughs> Should we all be doing it? No, I don't think so. <laughs> do we all have time to do that? No, we don't. Um, I have seen it. Yes, I know what you're talking about. Um, I've seen like the TikToks and the Instagram accounts. I Yeah, I mean, I think some of it is real. I mean, I think dogs have the ability to process some things probably more than a lot of people realize. I think mm-hmm. a lot of animals do. Um, yeah. I do think we have to be really careful about anthropomorphizing dogs, you know, because that that can lead to issues in treating them, you know, because yeah. people want to think about what their dog is doing in the context of what a human does, which is ironic for me to say, because I make skits about if dogs were people, what would they do? And <laughs> I do very human things. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that's probably real to some degree. I think there's probably some exaggeration in some of that, some of those videos, but, uh, yeah, I mean, there's that, I don't know if you've ever read, I, of course, because I'm on being recorded, I can't remember the name of it, but there's a book about a horse. This is true. A horse who like went on tour around the U S I think like in the twenties, in the Mm -hmm. 1920s and he could like communicate they the guy that had him like trained him i think he went to like fairs and Mm -hmm. he like trained him to like communicate in a similar way and yeah so i think that there are some animals have just have a higher capacity to understand and figure all of that out Mm -hmm. your average doodle is not going to be doing that (laughs) no matter how I don't mean to hate on doodles. I get a bad rep for hating on doodles, but they're just really popular right now. Everybody has a doodle, Mm -hmm. but even like Cooper over here, I don't think he could figure that out. (laughs) Well, I do think there are like such different dogs. Like some dogs, you look in their face and their eyes, you're like, you are just a dog. And other dogs, you're like, oh, you might be part human. Okay. Yes. Yes, for sure. For sure. mm -hmm. Yeah. There are dogs who like understand a lot more than others. Absolutely. Yeah. And like for my dog, for example, like she's so intense with her mm-hmm. communication, mm-hmm. her like looks and her, yeah. she'll like touch you. Like there's yeah. like this level of depth where you're like, okay, chill out. Like I got it. Yeah. Um, and very I think insistent. some of it mm-hmm. is not necessarily that they're like smarter. I just think mm-hmm. some dogs care more to connect yeah. and communicate with humans. They have more of a drive for that mm-hmm. than others, for sure. And even within like the same breed, like I, yeah, we have Cooper and, I grew up with labs and my dad had hunting dogs and my dad used to just always say like, you can kind of tell what a a puppy, a lab puppy's personality is going to be by how much they're paying attention to like what the human is doing. Cause some of them just really don't care. And they're, they're not very, they're usually not very good dogs training wise. So yeah. 
they're too much like the next shiny object. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, sure. I also think it might just be me as well as the human who has had both of these dogs, mm -hmm. but both of my dogs tend to be very stubborn mm -hmm. and determined. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, mm -hmm. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Like the, the level of bossiness sometimes I'm impressed mm -hmm. by. Yeah. Yep. And mm -hmm. and that is very true of a lot of dog breeds. And there mm -hmm. are consistencies within dog breeds. Sometimes people yeah. get offended on my social media, you know, say I'm vilifying chihuahuas because I <laughs> portray them as like sassy, but they are sassy and that's okay. They are. But that's just how they are. Yeah. I love uh, them, but they're spicy. Yeah. No, a, a friend of mine has a deer chihuahua. I think it's called technically. It's like it has a brown markings or something. I'm not okay. sure why. It's mm -hmm. not the regular looking chihuahua, like Elvis uh -huh. chihuahua. Uh -huh. And, but we're totally confident that his voice sounds like Antonio Banderas. And he's very sophisticated and he yeah. holds himself in a certain way. And he's very mm -hmm. posh. He needs his jackets. He gets cold. Like, yes. He's he's bougie. He's yes, a bougie chihuahua. There are a lot of bougie chihuahuas. That is a thing. <laughs> they demand all of those things. Push me As, in a stroller. Yeah. <laughs> Which I never, I mean, I live in Southern California now. And when I moved here, I was amazed that I like had to run to the mall for something. Mm -hmm. And the number of dogs and strollers oh. I saw, I yeah. was like, <gasps> Like, oh. okay, like some oh. of the stereotypes are real. This is amazing. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, I have seen that there. And there's a lot of that mm -hmm. here too, like in yeah. Nashville. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, when you look back at your journey, yeah. how have powerful women gotten you to where you are and supported you along your way? Yeah. So I have a lot of powerful women in my family who have inspired and encouraged me and uh, supported me. My mom is one of them. Most mm -hmm. of my parents are have been just really supportive of my goals and my dreams. And uh, and then I have two sisters. And so there's a lot of women in my family. Mm -hmm. And uh, I have aunts and a really special grandmother who's Lottie, who's still with us. Thank goodness she just turned 88. And uh, yeah, so I have been surrounded by women my whole life. And my, mm -hmm. both of my sisters do really cool things in their life and have always been really driven. And my mom taught special ed for 30 years and which was just a really like special job. And mm -hmm. my, my mom and my dad, but my mom as a woman has, I grew up with her who she's just constantly helping other people and supporting people and looking for ways to help. Um, yeah. And that just has, shaped who I am, just like having that example. Um, and my dad was an entrepreneur. And so that combination, I think, was a lot of how I got to where I am. And then in my career, you know, it's just been all, the veterinary field is becoming a, well, it is a, a woman-led field now. And mm -hmm. uh, as far as numbers. And so, you know, I've learned from a lot of amazing female veterinarians. I was under two female horse surgeons in my internship, mm -hmm. uh, one of whom is a good friend of mine now. And she was new to the, she was just out of her residency when we worked together. And so I kind of went through that with her and just really inspired by how fast she's become like a really talented, mm -hmm. well-known surgeon. So yeah, there's been women everywhere, which is great. Mm -hmm. When you think of the words powerful and ladies, what do those words mean to you? And then when they're put next to each other, mm -hmm. do their definitions change? Um, I mean, I, 
think they can they are often synonymous because I think mm-hmm. all the things that women do and are capable of doing can all be very powerful. Um, and when I think of the word powerful, I don't think about, you know, a woman or a man. I think about what that looks like as far as leading people and inspiring people and, and mm-hmm. making change. And I think when you have, when you think about women who are powerful, it is special because we being women, there's just so many different things we can do. We can be moms and have powerful careers and we can lead people in, in positions of power. But I think because of, because we are women, we have the ability to do it in a nurturing and compassionate way that I think Mm -hmm. is unique to, to women. And, uh, and so I, I love being able to be a woman in a leadership position for that reason. How has becoming a mother changed your approach to power? Oh man, there's a lot of power struggle at my house as a mom (laughs) with my four-year-old and my two-year-old. Yeah, you know, being a mom teaches you so much, but I think I, it's hard, it's hard to be a parent at all. Mm -hmm. And you think you're going to have kids and just, you know, I'll figure it out. We'll figure that out. Well, it'll be fine. My kid won't be like that. You know, I won't have difficult children, but they are, they're all difficult in different ways. And you have to learn how to lead, help lead your children with your spouse Mm -hmm. if you have one. And that is a learning process and you don't do it well at first. I still don't Mm -hmm. do it well all the time. Um, But it, it is another example of leading with compassion and, and, Mm -hmm. and tenderness. And that is the best way to do it. And and I experienced seeing that, you know, when I lead Mm -hmm. with, with empathy and compassion with my children, we're going to all do better than just telling them what to do. (laughs) Mm -hmm. We asked everyone on the Powerful Ladies podcast where they put themselves on the Powerful Ladies scale. If zero is average everyday human and 10 is the most powerful lady you can imagine, where would you put yourself today and on average? Oh man. Um, I would say I am definitely not a 10 because I have a lot of goals and aspirations that I haven't gotten to that would, I would probably make me more powerful, but, um, (laughs) I guess it depends on the context, but I guess I, I'm above a five because I have gotten to where I am in my career Mm -hmm. and I'm hoping to be, you know, leading a practice soon. And so Mm -hmm. that'll make my power a little bit higher, but I do, (laughs) I do manage two human children. So let's say at least a six or a seven. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Until they're taking it all and you're like, oh, I want to get. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, we've also been asking everyone, what is on your wish list? What are you trying to manifest? This is a powerful community with random connections. Yeah. And what do you need? What do you want? Yeah. So I, when I started this crazy, funny social media thing, I didn't really have an idea of what it could become. Uh, but now all of a sudden, like it's a, it's a real thing. And I feel this responsibility to do something productive with it. Mm-hmm. And so I have made a lot of connections, a lot of them with other powerful women in the last few months. Um, I'm talking with some agencies about representation, you know, to work through some things. And I have goals and ideas about a podcast and mm-hmm 
digital content for pet owners and just helping people communicate with clients better and lead people better. And I'm still learning all of that. Um, but yeah, I'm trying to sort of like figure out where exactly mm -hmm. I want my platform to go and, and what I want to use it for. Mm -hmm. And so that's where I'm at outside of like my job, but my job is more important than that. And it's in a pivotal moment of potential practice ownership in the future. And, and that's my ultimate goal. And so that's a big step too. And super excited about that. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. Um, well, everyone who wants to follow you, support you, get all your knowledge and your funny um, reels as well, where can they find, follow and support you? Yeah. So I am on TikTok and I am on Instagram right now. And my my handle is Dr. Molly Says, S-A-Y-S for both of them. And yeah, you will find, you just never know what you're going to find there. Maybe some thrift <laughs> store clothing finds, funny dog and cat videos, and hopefully plenty of education sprinkled in there. Well, thank you so much for being yeah. a yes to me and the powerful ladies and sharing your wisdom and time with us today. Thank you so much for having me. It was great to meet you. All the links to connect with Molly, her Instagram and TikTok are in our show notes at thepowerfulladies.com. Subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening and please leave us a rating and review. Join us on Instagram at Powerful Ladies. And if you're looking to connect directly with me, visit caraduffy.com or cara underscore Duffy on Instagram. I'll be back next week with a brand new episode. Until then, I hope you're taking on being powerful in your life. Go be awesome and up to something you love.